0: We have been looking through Ephesians, when we're getting really close to the end of this book. Um, last week, we talked about children parents, and parents, and um, really the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this household code that uh, Paul has at the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, um, where he describes exactly how the gospel shapes uh, communal life within households and how that living together in households and how we treat each other in households should manifest for others what the gospel looks like what the gospel feels like how the gospel really functions in practice um how it how it changes how we how we interact with one another so he starts out in verse 21 of chapter 5 submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and he's been arguing throughout this entire book so far that, uh that that Christ is Lord over all and that all things are being brought into unity under his lordship and that we're sort of partners with him in that lordship he's the the head of the church but then his body on earth is the is the church um, and we are seated with him in glory in the heavens co-ruling with him in fact is what scripture is what scripture scripture describes. And so, what does that co-ruling look like? Because it doesn't look like the kind of ruling that you would think it's not like um, it's not like a king or queen for us anyways. We don't experience the the uh, ruling over creation as being necessarily a sort of we get to do whatever we want type of thing. It's actually all about um deciding making a decision to love others above all, above all else, even if it means sacrificing our very selves for that purpose. It means sacrificially serving one another. It means deciding and choosing what is best for others above what is best for me as an as an individual. And so we see this play itself out throughout this, this book. Um, and how it plays out in in unity in the gospel, um, in chapter four and then in chapter at the sort of in the midst of chapter four and into chapter five, Paul begins to describe the ethics of the gospel and, and builds up to this mutual submission. Now the household codes here start with women, then it goes to children. And now it's going to the, the one that I think even, especially today, we probably find most uncomfortable slaves. Slaves and masters, in fact, and this was a common uh, this was a common occurrence in the ancient world. Um, but we have to be careful because this is the type of slavery that Paul would have known is radically, radically different than the type of slavery that we imagine. Because the type of slavery that we know of um, in recent history, anyways, is um, is chattel slavery in the United States and and in Canada. Is this sort of race-based, I own you, do what I tell you to do, and I own your family and your family's family for generations, that type of thing. Bringing people over the Atlantic um, and, 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 and owning them. That's a very, it's a similar but different monster to the type of slavery in the ancient world. The ancient world slavery, not to minimize the horror of it I don't want to do that Um, but I do want us to get a good sense of what this passage is really talking about so I'm going to read the passage and then we're going to talk a little bit about slavery and then work through the passage together so here's the passage we're taking a look at today Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 all the way through to 9 Pretty uh, another small little chunk slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And if you have never heard that passage before, and especially given the conversations that we're having culturally, you might have sort of, your, your gut might have reacted to that in a very strong way, eh? And this tends to be just when we see slavery in Scripture, and when we see hard text, actually, we sort of recoil from them a little bit, and it stops us from being able to understand exactly what's happening in them. Sometimes that recoiling is good. I think in this case, and, it, and whenever we're talking about slavery, a, a recoiling is good, but we need to then readjust our eyesight to be able to see what the passage is actually teaching us so in the in the ancient world, slavery, as I've said was very different. It was not uh it, it, we can't we can't conflate Amer- the American slave trade and the and the Canadian slave trade, the slave trade in the North Americas with the slave trade in the ancient world. Their similarities are in the horror of it. The similarities I think are are very much in in these slaves being owned by people um which is which is morally repugnant in a lot of ways, in in more ways than I think I'm I'm even able to comprehend. Um. And the slaves, the, the the there's a similarity in just the amount of of horror that these people would have seen in their lifetimes, or they would have been victims of in their lifetimes. Um, all sorts of different crimes uh, were committed to these to, to to slaves in both the ancient world and in and in more. Uh, in more recent history, but here are some big differences, and this this is important to note. This is this is from a scholar named Scott Barchi, who's an expert on slavery in the ancient world. He said this about ancient slavery: he said racial factors played no role, which I think is overstating himself a little bit. They played a small role, but it's, but not in the way that we think of um, race. That's actually how we think of race as a is really a, a modern invention. of of thought but anyways that's that's going beyond myself Uh, racial factors played no role education was greatly encouraged and it enhanced a slave's value masters wanted their slaves to be educated they wanted them to be educated that's totally different than the American slave trade they didn't want slaves to be educated at all they actually didn't even want them to be able to read the Bible Many slaves in the ancient world carried out sensitive and highly responsible social functions. Slaves could own property. They could own property in the ancient world. They had religious and cultural traditions that were the exact same as those who were freeborn. There were no laws prohibiting their public assembly. And the majority of slaves in the ancient world could legitimately anticipate being emancipated, that is, being set free, by the age of 30. That is radically unlike the slave trade in North America and really Western in 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 the West. I hope you can see some of the differences that are at play. That slavery in the ancient world is really ethically complex. Slaves were treated sometimes very harshly, but they also had. Um, I think we could maybe say they had a they had. More responsibility, and with those with that responsibility came more rights to be able to be doctors, to be teachers, to be skilled tradesmen, and sometimes slaves were the ones that had um, that had had power in local regions if they were that gifted at the thing that they did, if they were the best doctor, if they were the best engineer, if they were the best teacher, they would be given a uh, they be they they be given respect still being a slave so they still had to respect their masters but they they're given res- it, yeah it was radically different for women eh Cindy's, I think you've written about this in a couple of places maybe you can link us to those descriptions um because I think you're right women just women in the ancient world so Cindy's made a comment this description of slavery up, uh, primarily applies to men I had a, I actually hadn't thought of that but I think you're right because women tended not to be educated, they tended not to be able to hold these different types of positions of doctors and teachers and all of, all of these things, because, the, because women were subjugated in a very particular way in the ancient world, so yeah, they did not have these opportunities. You're right, Cindy. And so I hope, I hope even just this little conversation is seeing slavery in the ancient world is way more complex than maybe we like to admit. And it has uh, it has sort of multiple sides, and some sides seem good from one angle, and then you look at the opposite, and it's actually quite quite horrific. Um, so we don't want to excuse slavery, but we we do understand. I think we want to understand exactly why Paul is approaching this passage the way that he does, because Paul has this great concern throughout all of his letters. About ensuring the gospel is able to go forth into the world, he wants people to have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, and part of that is ensuring that the church doesn't doesn't unnecessarily become a hindrance to the gospel's preaching. Um, So you can imagine it like the the ancient in the ancient world, slavery was the economic driver of. Of, of really the Roman Empire, if you were to up and get rid of slavery all at once, it would actually cause the entire collapse of the civilization. Which I think Paul would say that's not the, that's not a good thing, because it would mean that number one, you wouldn't be able to preach the gospel to people, but number two, um, it would all but ensure Christian persecution for generations, and it would and it would ensure generations of poverty. And so he 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 actually treats us really carefully. But I think he's planting seeds, which he's already started to do with women, children, uh, women and children before this, he, he, he sort of plants these seeds to be able to see relationships transformed by uh, reconstituting, reconstituting them, not as relationships between people, but as relationships between God and then people. And it's that relationship with God that then transforms all of our other relationships, be it our relationships with, in marriage between husbands and wives or fathers and children or rather parents and children or slaves and masters. And Paul begins to plant these seeds that will later on develop and, and, and grow into the abolition of slavery, at least as was known. We'll talk about that. There's a There's a caveat there. let's take a look at the passage again first off we'll notice paul in verse 5 says slaves <laughs> we might pass over that but this is a big deal just like paul did with women and children he's he's talking to people who had no power in the ancient world first before moving on to those who had power he's moving on to the people who had the responsibilities uh Generally speaking, within culture, um, second, and, and instead trying to empower those with no power to be able to help them see that, yes, they are human beings and they deserve to be treated like human beings and they have a certain responsibility as well within the church. So he says, slave, actually, slaves, plural. He points to these people who the rest of the ancient culture would have said, well, you're 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 only good for your economics maybe or you're only good for the thing that you're able to do you're only good because you're owned by another human being he says no i'm going to talk to you i'm going to treat you like a human being i'm going to treat you as the as the person god made you to be this is countercultural no other that i know of no other type of household code like this does this talking directly to slaves and 30% upwards of 30% of the ancient world were either in slavery or were, were, were freed from slavery. So the chances are very, very high that there are people who either are slaves or were slaves in these churches that Paul is writing to. They would have seen this and known that Paul knows them. They would have, they would have seen their own experiences being brought out by Paul, being called out. And this would have had direct application to a number of people in these churches. By addressing them directly, Paul's treating them as human beings. And that, in and of itself, is planting a really important seed. So what does Paul say to them? He says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Obey your earthly masters, which makes an assumption, right? That, that the earthly master, if there's an earthly master, like he has that qualifier earthly, it means that there's another master somewhere that isn't earthly, there's a master in heaven which he'll point out later on in the passage so obey your earthly masters with respect and fear or with um in other places it's with fear and trembling might be a might be another uh description of that essentially it's trying to to get at obey them with uh fear with 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 humility and deference but the question is why and paul brings it out um but, but within the next couple of verses. So obey them with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. And that is the key. Obey them just as you would obey Christ. He's, he's sort of saying, tr- uh, serve your masters as though you are serving Jesus himself. Obey them as you would obey Christ. Not just to win their favor, he says, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. He says, you think that you just have one master. You actually have another greater master. His name is Jesus. And he commands you to live a certain way and to be certain people. And you get to choose whether to live like that. You get to choose whether you're going to follow him or not. And so with humility and deference, with fear and trembling, obey your Masters serve them as though you are serving Christ himself. This is important again, getting back to this idea that the spreading of the gospel is really important to Paul is sort of at the top of his mind if uh, if if a slave began to essentially make life miserable for their master, it would have caused not just the relationship between the slave and the master to degrade it would have caused the master to then look around and see okay what type of influence is causing this to happen he would have looked at the church and then said it's the church's fault we need to crush it and cause the persecution of the church poor behavior uh, dishonoring one's master would bring a poor reputation to christ and his church and remove an evangelistic opportunity. And so, Paul says, like, be careful, like, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and 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 obey them sincerely as you would obey Christ. Serve them as Christ has served you. In other words, don't just try to win them favor, win their favor, but do the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. Verse seven. As if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each of each each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. He's, he, he expands their vision to not just look at what life is like right now, but to look beyond that, to say, okay, God is doing something new. He's gonna he's gonna create a new heavens and a new earth, and he's going to reward us for our faith and for our our deeds and following him so even if you're not rewarded now even if even if life is hard now we can still know by faith that god will reward us for the things that we have done so he tries to move their eyes from the here and now towards the future to give them hope especially those slaves who would have been in in particularly dire and and terrifying situations Now you notice that he also... So he says you have a master on earth and you also have a master in heaven, that you are slaves to Christ. He's going to pick this up again, talking to the masters, but this is this is really interesting. We, we think of slavery so... Well, of it so poorly, and, and rightly so because of history, that sometimes I think we miss this, that throughout the New Testament we are called slaves of christ that we're actually called to be slaves with a master and it just so happens that this master sets us free and sets us free indeed from from the from the shackles of sin and the and and suffering and death the same is true for these slaves in the ancient world they might still have a master they uh, but but they had a, a greater master that will give them greater freedom, even when they are they are in 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 servitude, whether they're in jail whether they're in dire situations, they can still be free in Christ. So remember this is a, a letter written to a church, and it 's starting out with this passage: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This part of the letter, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it goes through wives, husbands, children, and fathers, and now slaves, and it doesn't stop at slaves. He goes on to masters. I'm um, s- suggesting actually that within the church, slaves and masters have a, a newly constituted relationship that actually starts to do away with the power dynamics at play. And we see this begin to happen in Paul's very short teaching to masters. Treat your slaves, verse 9, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In other words, well, that that treat your masters the same way is really interesting. Um, And there's a bit of debate about exactly what Paul... Is pointing back to in the same way, but I think we can. I think we can safely say that what Paul is saying is that uh, masters are to treat their earthly slaves with respect and fear, and with a sincerity of heart that is in in justice and righteousness and mercy and compassion, reflecting their the the Lord Jesus to them, and 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 serve them just as they would serve the Lord, actually listen to them, pay attention to their needs don't get don't it says actually very explicitly don't threaten them, which isn't just a verbal threat if that's a that's a, that's a threat of violence and death and and uh, sexual exploitation and 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 all sorts of things don't threaten them. Because your master is the same as their master. That is, that you think you're free and that you have a slave, that's not true. You are a slave just as they are a slave and you're the slave to the same master. And that master is going to call you on everything that you do. He's gonna call you on how you treat these other people that, that are within your realm of responsibility. And there's no favoritism with them. He doesn't care that you maybe own another person. He doesn't care. God says they're all human beings. Every, all of these creatures are made in my image, and so how are you treating each other? If you're treating each other poorly, you will answer for it. That is a that's a really powerful seed. That's the kind of seed that that breaks down the power dynamics, especially in the church of of. Of slave and master, and we see this in another in another um, text of scripture. Of a, uh, it's a book that I can't pronounce. <laughs> One uh, it's just a really really tiny short little book, and it's a letter that Paul wrote <clears throat> to um, to a to a slave master on behalf of the slave who seems to have run away. I'm trying to find it. Um but I'm really bad at searching apparently. Oh, it's it's Philemon. Um <clears throat> It's written to Philemon as a plea for 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 Onesimus. And Onesimus seems to be a a slave who for whatever reason um was either sent away or escaped from Philemon, and Paul writes to him with, with very clear instructions on how he is to treat this slave coming back, and he says don't treat him as a slave, treat him as a brother, as a brother in Christ, this is the kind of thing that now the gospel does, is that people a master who used to own a slave is then told, okay, you think that you own them, but you don't, you have to treat that slave like a brother or a sister in Christ that's how you treat them so how do you treat your brothers? Do you beat them? Do you sexually exploit them? No? Like that's then you shouldn't be doing it to the to your slaves. And it begins to shed the power dynamics that are at play in these relationships. And it, it makes even more sense too when you start to look at like how the spiritual gifts worked in the early church. And, and, in, and, and in the church today, that God gifts particular people to be able to build up his church. We've seen earlier in Ephesians chapter 4. He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Well, what if one of these slaves was a gifted prophet or a gifted evangelist? In some sense, they would have to, uh, the, the masters would have to submit to their teaching, to their leadership within the church. Submission begins to take shape within the church and ruptures the system of slavery quite profoundly. This passage, I think, reframes slavery in light of our relationship to Christ. And these seeds of submission, they didn't destroy slavery right out the gate. It didn't destroy slavery like a tornado destroys a home. It more... It more eroded the foundations around this institution of slavery very slowly over time with an expectation that actually one day it was going to collapse on itself. if you've ever seen um if you've ever seen any sort of erosion happening with a house nearby um like a with a with one of those raging rivers, you can look on youtube It's really incredible that the water just sort of pulls a little bit of sand at the time, a little bit of sand, a little bit of sand. But eventually, it gets to the point where there's no ground left. The foundation's gone and the house crumbles. This is what mutual mutuality did to slavery in the ancient world. And it's all based on this idea that we are one in Christ, that we are equal at the foot of the cross, I think we could say. And there's not going to be slavery in heaven. And the church is actually supposed to be this place where we get a a foretaste of what heaven on earth is going to be like, where we get to foretaste worship and we get to experience God's presence and his spirit in these small doses to be able to give us hope and push us towards the future and, and get and energize us for mission of inviting other people to come and know him as well. Um, like if that's what the church is and it's supposed to be, there's no place for slavery within it at all. There's no place for treating each other poorly, for 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 the abuse of power. Um, th- there's just no place for it. Instead, what are we called to be? We're, we're called to be the kinds of people who submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. In the in the church, slaves and masters were to submit to one another and in doing so, bring a taste of heaven to earth. So, what's the application for today? And for us, in particular, in this moment? I think, um, well, first off, it's interesting that any time in history that slavery has been abolished, it's been done by Christians. Christians were central to the abolition of slavery in Britain, and they were central to the abolition of slavery in the U.S. They were also complicit in it, in the U.S. But it was it was Christian activists who really pushed the the pushed the abolition of slavery um, forward. And and consistently, whenever slavery pro- pops up, it's the church that comes back and says well no we we can't be doing this thing and they start to push it aside and even those who maybe try to use the bible to support their slavery it doesn't last very long um, at least in in modern times that being said the racism that's at the foundation of those systems still exists and continues to fester and it's because that apart from god's grace Humans are slaves to our sin. No matter what, we are slaves to sin apart from the the redeeming love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Paul gets into this in another place in Scripture, in Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to read this passage out for you. Because I think it'll, it'll... Get at the heart of things a little bit um, <clears throat> a little bit, and, and, and reframe even just how we think about ourselves to, as, as slaves of Jesus and as slaves of righteousness, which should direct to how we ought to live today. This is what Paul says in, in Romans chapter six: "What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. But you don't you know? That when you offer yourselves as someone as someone to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. That is, he's saying, you used to be slave to sin, but now you are slaves to the to Jesus and his teachings, and you allow his teachings to orient your life towards righteousness, towards holiness, towards living as God intended you to live. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You've become set free to become a slave. But the question is, who's your master? Is your master yourself and your sin, or is your master Jesus? Because your master Jesus is going to treat you with kindness and compassion. He's going to honor you and respect you and point you towards the life that God intended for you to always live. Who is your master? Is it your sin or is it Jesus? I am Paul goes on to say, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. <laughs> Just as you need to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Offer yourselves. You're not going to get sold into it. You're not going to get pushed into it. It's an offer. You offer yourself. God gives us a free gift of grace and we get to choose whether to accept it or not and if we choose to reject it what we're saying is that we would rather have ourselves and our sin as our master and walk in that for the rest of our lives rather than accepting that gift of grace and offering ourselves to jesus as his slaves as living as living sacrifices to the lord But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. That's where Jesus leads us. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just a quick application would be a question. Who is your master? Is it your sin or is it Jesus? maybe we can put it this way what controls the orientation of your life what, what has the loudest voice in your head to be able to tell you which way to go when you're making decisions when you're faced with tough choices when you are uh, just living your daily life is it yourself or is it Jesus is it your own thoughts or opinions or is it the word of God who is your master? Who is the loudest voice in your head? That's one application. Another application is that slavery still exists. Um, maybe not in our church, uh, in, in our local church, but within the, within the global church, within global culture for sure. And, and, I, and I actually say within the global church, there, there almost certainly is some type of slavery somewhere, especially with human trafficking. Um, sex slavery is still a major issue in our world and some estimates on the high end place it in the, in the range of about 35 million sex slaves every year, especially in Asia, especially in Asia. Um, but but um, even as we've seen with the Commonwealth Games um, and, the, and the, the work that um, the Canadian Baptist women did, sex slavery and human trafficking moves around with big events and especially big sporting events one of the biggest times of prostitution on the calendar um generally speaking is super bowl sunday which is quite disturbing and there's, there's a ton of great organizations that are working to free these slaves. Um, one is Fight for Freedom. You can go to their website, fightforfreedom.ca, to learn more about their ministry and what they're doing in Canada, specifically to fight human trafficking. So you can actually get involved in the destruction of slavery, planting even more seeds and transforming people by the grace of God. Um, but a final application is that I think that this can speak to us in how we work, um, and this is this is extending a metaphor a little bit into into the text from from today, that we often I think when, when we talk about work we 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 sort of talk about this slave to the system idea that we're slaves to this economic system that's pushing things forward. Well, take the metaphor at face value. What it's saying is that we are slaves to a master. Maybe unseen, but it, but really is is manifested in our bosses. And so, what does this passage have to say about how we treat uh, how we treat just work in general? And I think that this uh, this transliteration, so it's a it's a it's a creative reinterpretation of this text to apply to the modern day of employees and bosses. Um, this is really stretching it, but I think this is—I think this has something to teach us. So I'm going to go with it. Um, this is this is what this commentary, this is the commentary. This is what it has to say about this. If we if we replace slaves and masters with employees and bosses, it would say, "Employees, obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as employees of Christ." doing the will of God from your heart. Work wholeheartedly as if you were working for the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reveal each one, reward, pardon me, each one, for whatever good they do, whether they are employees or bosses. Bosses treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their boss and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. If we really took this to heart, how would it transform how we interact with our bosses, with coworkers, um, with customers even? I think would I think it would transform it quite quite a lot. If we lived in how this passage says that people ought to live and how this entire passage has been teaching us how to live the last couple of weeks, um, it would be teaching us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this starts within the church, but it works its way out into the rest of the world where we start to, having practiced learning how to love each other in the church, we can then go out into the world and put that practice into practice to be able to love others as Christ has loved us, which includes our bosses. And, and, um, and what a powerful witness we could be if we treated our bosses in the way that paul describes how slaves ought to treat their masters with respect and fear with sincerity of heart basically be employed for them as though you were employed by christ himself if jesus was was telling you what to do how would you respond that's how you should respond in in these other situations I'm not sure if you can hear Liam. He's, uh, he's getting to the end of himself over there. So let's pray for us. Um, let me pray for us. And, um, and, pr- and uh, pray for us as a, as a church, as well as uh, for, for those still in slavery today, um, that God would break the chains, whether they're literal chains holding them um, from freedom or whether it's metaphorical chains holding their souls from freedom in Christ. Let's pray against the darkness uh, together this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you that you um, show us how to empower each other through, through choosing to love one another um, more than we love ourselves. And really, we show how much we love ourselves by loving other people i thank you for the teaching that you give us in this passage today about slaves and masters and um, father i i I pray that you would help us to really learn how to apply it in our own situations but even more so father um, we know that slavery is an evil that that your church has has moved against from its inception until now, planting seeds and watering them to see the the system degrade, but the system is being is propped up by racism, by temp- by sexual temptation and sin, really by sin itself. By re- it's held up by rebellion. And so, Father, for those who are in slavery, we pray that you would rele- that you would break their chains and and bring them to freedom. But Father, we also pray for those who are still slaves to their sin, that you would break their chains and that you would free them and become their master so that they could they could experience true freedom. A freedom to to live and love as you live and love. A freedom to serve others wholeheartedly and a freedom to Um, well, to love you and to love their neighbor as their self. Because those who are set free by you, Father, are free indeed. So we pray that you would free um, those whose hearts are are still directed by their sin. And, um, yeah, I pray that you would draw them Uh, to yourself and into worship so that they would know you even as they are known by you so that they could learn how to do your will um, in all the things of their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.